fans. The Athletic College Football is live in New Orleans for the College Football Playoff National Championship. Join us Saturday, January 11th at the House of Blues, New Orleans for live episodes of the Audible and the Andy Staples Show. Doors open at noon central and the show starts at 1. Both shows will feature interviews with special guests like former Clemson All-American C.J. Spiller and Q&A sessions with some of the brightest minds in college football like Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. Grace and I will also be there giving you your Clemson fix, so be sure to come out and say hi to us. For tickets, go to theathletic.com slash houseofblues or click on the link in the show notes. Make sure you get your tickets in advance because we are expecting the show to sell out. And we're going to enjoy this tonight, but on Friday, we're going to have another team meeting and we're going to get locked in on next year. Hey everyone, welcome back to Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast from The Athletic. I'm Nicole Auerbach, she's Grace Rayner, and we are thrilled to be joined by our LSU beat writer and our friend Brody Miller. He does a great job for The Athletic, and he's going to give us some insight on LSU. I, I know that a lot of our listeners probably are pretty well-versed in LSU, but this guy at the front row seat all season long, so we're really excited to have his input. Thanks so much for joining us, Brody. Oh, thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? We are hanging in there. We are prepping our livers and our stomachs for New Orleans. We are going to need to get some food wrecks from you, by the way, before all of this is done. I was going to say, I feel I feel a great deal of <laughs> pressure on the, because I mean, Ross Dellinger and I were joking about this. It's like we feel this responsibility as like the hosts of Louisiana <laughs> to like show everybody exactly what to do. So if anybody doesn't have a perfect time, I feel I'll take the blame. Those are. It's a lot of pressure. I, I've been asking around everybody I can. I've been trying to. I've been trying everywhere I can, making sure I'm well equipped. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll ask you before we let you go. But you got some time to think about like your number one, number two Rex, uh, before we go. Um, but we we wanted to do this a little bit differently. I mean, I think everyone knows you know a lot of the obvious things about LSU this year. You bring in Joe Brady from the Saints, and it really re- revolutionizes the offense, et cetera, et cetera. My first question for you, Brody, is what is it like to watch Joe Burrow in person? It's gotten to this weird point, and I hate talking about this because I always feel like you you venture into hyperbole when you're talking about it or kind of a corny way of talking, which I hate, but it really is, is at a point where until proven otherwise, you kind of just assume things are going to go his way and I think the best example of that is you know that famous play against Georgia where he evades two sacks scrambles around hits somebody downfield or even the Oklahoma game where he's running down the sideline just chucks up that heave to Terrace Marshall and you're like how did that work or I always just point to the Alabama game when you know they they give Alabama scores 21 unanswered points it's 33 27 this game's getting away from LSU and you kind of in your gut have this feeling all right, fourth quarter, Joe Burrow's going to lead a touchdown drive here, and he leads two in a row to win the game. So it's at this weird point of it's not if LSU is going to score, it's kind of just an inevitability because no matter what a defense throws at him, he can adjust to it. If you try to pressure him, we'll get the ball out quicker to his receivers. If you if you try to drop eight into coverage, all right, he'll pick you apart and take his time and hit you. So it really – yeah, obviously what makes this even more shocking to cover is that you, you compare this to the last few years of LSU football, right, where it's the exact opposite. It is a surprise when the offense does succeed. It's a surprise when the offense does come up in the clutch when you need it to. So I think that's kind of what 
the best way to describe what it's like covering Joe Burrow in this LSU offense this season because I don't think I've ever covered an offense in my life where scoring is an inevitability. Brody, I think Clemson fans are actually really excited to see Burrow in person. Obviously, they have rooting interest on the other side, but I do think they're excited to see a quarterback of his caliber up close and personal. Um, But I wanted to ask you about Clemson's offensive weapons. Obviously, they have a quarterback they feel really good about. And this Trevor Lawrence-T. Higgins duo has been pretty unstoppable all season long. I'm curious how you think LSU plans to cover T. Higgins in particular. Yeah, so I go back to the fact that, I mean, LSU's outside corners have been fantastic this season. Derek Stingley and Christian Fulton, they're both, you know, opponents are completing under 40% against them. I mean, it's, I mean, Derek Stingley is one of the top, leads the SEC in interceptions. They feel pretty confident there, and I feel pretty confident that they trust those guys to to press man those guys, which is kind of how I predict them to cover them, in my personal opinion. I think they try to press them and whatnot and go too high safeties, but we'll see. I could be wrong there. So I think LSU feels decently that I can hold its own there. What I'm fascinated is what does Clemson do trying to attack the middle of the field? Because that's been the one area I'd say all season that's been kind of vulnerable for this LSU defense. You know, they're pretty great outside the hashes, but the creative teams like, you know, Florida's done a great job at it. Auburn even had moments of being really strong at it. Alabama definitely was strong at it, of attacking the middle of the field, you know, whether it be Nickel, Kerry Vincent, or safety Jacoby Stevens, which our colleague Bruce Feldman's, you know, coaching breakdown actually pointed out Jacoby Stevens exactly in that sense that you can single him out in pass coverage. I, I wonder how creative they get I know these are two, you know, elite, well-sized receivers on the outside, but I think your best mismatch might be trying to attack the middle of the field there. I'm curious what uh, they do. But to answer your question, I think they press man coverage, go too high safety, and try to take away Trevor Lawrence in that big play passing game. And, and Brody, I guess the flip side here is um, Joe Burrow slash Joe Brady against Brent Venables. And do you think that he and this offense have faced a defensive coordinator like Brent Venable? Like, is this going to be the biggest test that Burroughs had? So it's a tough question because I get a lot of eye rolls, and, and there's understandably so from LSU people, when it seems like almost every week we write uh, some iteration of, you know, this LSU offense is good, but this is going to be the toughest test yet. It's become a constant thing because between, you know, Florida, which at the time everyone was talking about was the best pass rush in college football. And then you go to the Auburn game, and you know LSU still believes that's the best defense they've placed, and that we know how good that defense is. Then you go to Alabama, and it's like, well, if anyone can do it, it's probably Nick Saban, right? And then it's you know you go to Georgia, and that was you know kind of the unanimous number one defense in the country for a few weeks there, right, with Dan Lanning and Kirby Smart. So it's like every single week it feels like, you know, this is the toughest one, and they've placed four of the top ten SP plus defenses in the country, but. I say all that to say I do kind of agree that, you know, yes, they have already faced a long list of tests, but Brent Venables is the top defensive mind. I mean, it's him and Dave Aranda, right? Those are the two mm-hmm. top defensive coaches in football. And Brent Venables has proven even much more than Aranda even that on the biggest of stages against those elite offenses, he can come up with something that, you know, nobody else has really come up with to stop somebody. So it's fascinating because – I don't know if Clemson's good enough to stop the LSU offense. I just don't. But if there is anybody who can come up with a plan that nobody else has thought of to do it, I think it's Venables. And, you know, I, I had a story that just went up this morning with a lot of help from our uh, our good friend at The Athletic, Jason Stare at The Numbers Guru, of just breaking down all of the strengths of, the, you know, Joe Burrow and Clemson's defense. And, you know, Clemson's among the best in the co- country at stopping, you know, 
you know, best at stopping people when you get pressure on it, best at stopping people when they're outside of the pocket, best at stopping the middle of the field. I mean, they are the best defensively in the country or among the best at almost every single passing category. Well, Joe Burrow is the best in the country at every single one of, like, the best of the country at every single one of those things that I just listed about Clemson. So it is a fascinating thing, and something's going to have to give, and I think that's what makes this so fascinating. Brody, sticking with the coaching theme what has Coach O been like these past few weeks? I mean, we've seen Dabo Sweeney on this stage uh, in five straight playoffs now. I mean, this is kind of old business around at Clemson. Um, everyone's kind of used to this, but obviously LSU has had a sensational season. And um, just, I'm just curious what it's like covering Coach O this time of year and if you're if there's any thought that Clemson might have an advantage because they've been here before uh, because this is kind of an old hat trick for them now. I think there's obviously something to the fact that Clemson does have an advantage there. I mean, you know, Ed O'Jean will admit that himself. But then I always kind of also go back to Kirby Smart's comment when he was asked the SEC championship about, you know, he's like, well, you know, you've been the SEC championship more than LSU. Do you do you think you have an advantage? And Kirby just kind of laughed and is like, well, LSU's played at Texas, at Auburn. They've played Florida. They've played all, like, you know, they've played sure. all these schools. He's like, I mean, yes, technically this is something new to them, but they've been in the biggest stages and on the road, let alone a neutral site. So it's like he kind of downplayed it. But I do agree with that. But to answer your first part about just what Coach O is like right now, I think what he's like right now really tells you the story of how much he's evolved the past, you know, what, 10 years of his life. And that he just seems so comfortable in his own skin right now and less manic and less, you know, kind of all over the place. He just seems... You know, granted, we only see him in small doses, but he seems so much more composed than you've seen at other times in his career. I would even say different than last year. You know, last year there was so much getting worked up, so much just like over the top getting people fired up for the Alabama game and the, more of a tightness around this program. While, while right now, I mean, I'm, it's not an exaggeration to say he's, I'm not going to say calm, but somewhere in that realm where, you know, I think, and that goes back to one of his biggest failures at Ole Miss were, right? He he couldn't let things go. He couldn't – he hounded his assistant coaches and just could you know, try to micromanage everything. And right now he's at a place where he trusts his staff and lets them do what he wants – what they want to do. He doesn't hound them. He trusts them that when they make a mistake, he, he doesn't need to tell them that. You know, that they'll go fix it. You know, he, I always point to the Ole Miss game where that defense, you know, was a disaster, right? It was it was a mess. Everybody on the team was livid, and Ed Ogeron was the one person basically in the whole program being like – know what we won the game let's remember that and you know they're gonna fix it and I'm not gonna get on them more than they are getting on themselves right now that's not something he would have said last year so I say all this to say I think Ed Ogeron is actually more comfortable in his skin than normal and that really kind of tells you the story of the success of this season he's he's 58 years old like is it does this mean it's possible to change like to to calm down and to change our mentality like at that age like I'm just like no I'm not poking fun at it. I just think it's kind of crazy that someone can can change so much in a positive way, obviously, at that point in their life when, when you think you're so set in the way you handle things, the way you react to things, the way you treat people, things like that. No, I think it's a really fascinating thing to bring up because yeah, you know, I, I remember I did a story about two months ago on how you know Jack Marucci, the LSU trainer, and a lot of people, the trainer Tommy Moffat, they all said the same thing, which shocked me. They said, Ed Ogeron is the most progressive coach they've been around. And I want to be clear, those coaches, that those trainers and people we've mentioned, they've been around Bobby Bowden, they've been around Nick Saban, Les Miles, uh, Butch, Butch, Butch Davis. You know, they've been around a lot of good coaches. And for them to say that was kind of shocking. And what I, what I found out when I looked into it was it's kind of amazing how Ed Ogeron, he sincerely did change. And that goes back to, you know, so many of these coaches, they get where they are because – 
they think they know things. And they are, most of these coaches are, you know, really smart people, but they think their way is genius and their way is masterful. Or, or you know, growing up, for example, growing up in a Saban tree, a guy thinks, well, Saban did it this way and this is how you do it. I think Ed Ogeron, because of his failures, does not operate like most, you know, top-notch coaches in college football where he, mm. he assumes that there's no right way to do things. And he doesn't assume that he has some master plan. So he sincerely listens to everybody around him. And that seems like such a simple, obvious thing. And it doesn't sound like some genius trader saying like that. But, it, I mean, you've been around college football much longer than I. That's not how most staff, most college football coaches work, not the top ones. So he sincerely yeah. does listen to everybody. And I think that goes back to how does a guy change. It's because of traits like that. And it is uh, – I talked to one, you know, business expert and kind of a – he's a professor and a guy who really focuses on disruption in business and how to change, you know, Netflix, for example, disruption. And he, he had this thing he was fascinated by, and he said, Ed Ogeron – disrupted himself you know he just like a business hmm. can be disrupted by these crazy ideas he's like ed ogeron saw his problems and disrupted his own career and i just find that fascinating so to answer your question i guess maybe that is proof for all of us that people can actually change i think that's so fascinating and i think too that sort of along those same lines one of the things that Dabo's assistants love the most about him is that he's kind of the same way like he lets his coaches coach he's not super micromanaging in that regard so i think that's fascinating um my last question for you before we get into the fun food stuff, um, LSU's defense. <laughs> do you think that do you think that unit gets enough credit and is everyone fully healthy there? Credit's a tricky word because the criticisms were very fair at the time. You know what I mean? It's it's not mm-hmm. like they were unfounded, but I just kind of always pointed to okay, the Ole Miss game was an utter disaster, and there's no doubt about that, but you know, that came with a 31-3 lead, or, you know, which is still a problem, but, you know, just kind of factor that in, or the Vanderbilt game, that came with, you know, those big plays they gave up that game, that came with a big lead, or Alabama, I'm not, you know, that, that the lead thing shouldn't be the factor, but I think it's also worth pointing out, LSU completely shut down Alabama in the first half, which nobody had really done in a long time, so, you know, it's just, it was kind of a Let's not go too far with it. And now you're seeing once Grant Delpit got healthy, everything changed with this defense because one, he's one of the most you know valuable, versatile piece of this defense. He's you know he's he's LSU's Isaiah Simmons for the for the Clemson faithful out there. And but also one of the big things that happened when they finally rested him for the Arkansas game because they have LSU had zero depth behind him. I mean, two guys transferred, one guy was out for the season. There was zero depth, so they couldn't sit him. But they finally forced him to sit a game for the Arkansas game, and that meant true freshman who had no experience, Mo Hampton, got in time, and he surprisingly looked really good. And two things happened there. One, you know, Grant Delpa was able to get healthy, and that's been huge, and you've seen the last three games. His defense has been, you know, I wouldn't say elite, but very, very, very good these last three or four games since he's been healthy. But two, it allowed – now that meant that Hampton gave them one more safety, and Dave, part of Dave Rand's big plans for this season – was he at all? I, I almost call, I wrote about it. I almost called it positionless football, where it was so many guys who were so versatile. Jacoby Stevens is like a linebacker safety hybrid. Delpit's the same thing. Uh, Caleb on Chason's like an outside inside linebacker hybrid. Same with Michael Divinity before his suspensions. There were so many guys they wanted to play in and out and just kind of be fluid. But when the when their safety depth got shot, they couldn't do that because they only had two safeties, so it really limited that. Having three safeties again now 
allows them to go with, you know, one high safety but a three-safety look, and now you got Delpit and Stevens, you know, maneuvering around the field as corner safety linebacker hybrids that can really match up against the run and the pass and really allow them to thrive. And it's a small part of it, but I think it's a huge part of why this <laughs> that's I, I just you know contradicted myself. But I think it is a big part of what's happened with this defense and why they're looking so much better. It's the mix of the health and the versatility they're gaining. Because that front, you know, three really the front, you know, five, I'd like to call it because they do so much, you know, dime stuff. I think that's a sincerely great group. You have flaws, you know, it's safe, you know, in the middle of the field sometimes. You have flaws at nickel and whatnot, but I think there's some some real strengths in this team, both in the secondary and up front, and I think they just don't quite get the credit they deserve. But are they as good as Clemson? No. The second week of the NFL playoffs is upon us. The bad news is that there's only a few more weeks left in the football season. But the good news is you can still get your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. And if you've never played before, there's even more to celebrate. You can play for $1 million as a top prize this weekend. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching a game quite like having a shot at that $1 million top prize. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. With only the best football teams left, there's no better time to be playing. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code RUN. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. Remember, that's code RUN and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Birdie, before we let you go, um, we need those wrecks. Food, drink, <laughs> whatever you got for New Orleans. We have Clemson fans coming who you know, are really going to be overwhelmed probably by all of the LSU people everywhere, but they need to know the good spots to go to. So, yeah, there's obviously different levels to it. So I'd start with, you know, the traditional, I think. It's not a touristy place, but it is one of the traditional New Orleans local places is Clancy's. It's my, you know, it's Jeff Duncan, my, who I will defer to on so many things. It's his favorite restaurant. He showed it to me. It is your perfect, you know, like old school veal house, you know, you know, you know, New Orleans place. I will always recommend that place. And then a, a more kind of modern one that's one of my favorites is N7, which is actually like this fascinating kind of place that actually was secret for about 10 years or several years, and it just recently became kind of public, but it's basically this really modern kind of really good wine bar and fantastic food uh, modern din- restaurant that's like hidden in the bywater behind a gate with like no advertisements or no signs or anything around it. I really recommend that one. And also Paladar 511 is another one. I would definitely recommend. But then you go to your smaller scale things, right? Because you need like a good sandwich recommendation. So I'd say the, the popular one is Turkey and the Wolf, which I want to be very clear, you cannot go wrong at. Turkey and the Wolf is incredible and you should go there. But my favorites are two other ones. I love um, a piece of meat in Mid-City. It's, it's actually, you know, kind of related to Turkey and the Wolf. It's some similar people, but I, I actually, weirdly enough, prefer it. And then my personal favorite which is a more simple place, but it's called Stein's Deli in, uh, on Magazine Street. It is a Philadelphia diner. I mean, Philadelphia deli, which I'm from South Jersey, so that makes me very same, happy. Same. But it's just an elite old... Whoa. There we go, right? Look yeah. at this. I'm from, I don't know I'm that. from Central Jersey, I... but close enough. Grace just... There's no such thing oh as Central God, Jersey. Brody, there is. Only... Oh, my gosh. Go off, Brody. No, there is... 
There's no such thing. It's no, south or north. What do you call like the Princeton area? I, I kind of consider no, it south. No, it's not. I, I mean, like I'm from 20 minutes north of there, between Rutgers. There have been like video series about no, how there's there no is. such thing. Did you not see <laughs> the, New, the New Jersey governor account, which is my favorite account on Twitter, has been making this case for me that Central Jersey exists. <laughs> I was trying to remember because I knew the governor weighed in, but I couldn't remember whose side he was on, so I didn't want to reference exists. that. I, like, <laughs> Damn, where I'm from is not North Jersey, and it's not South Jersey. It has to be its own entity. I'm currently in Central Jersey right Thank now. You, so Mike, you thank you, Mike. Thank you. So 75% Wait, of so this you, podcast so are no Jersey no, people. He is somewhere. There is a whole area, many miles, that he is in. It's a very nice portion of the state, by the way. Okay, whatever you have to say. Anyway, uh, um, I, just, I feel like I should yeah. see myself out of this. <laughs> Grace just went to her first. No, you're actually the unbiased no, she, party. You need no, to weigh in. she just went to her first deli like ever. So she cannot weigh in on this. This is too important. All right, fair. But anyway, you should go to Stein's <laughs> Deli then. I, I, I am just realizing this. Yeah, because I forgot you are a Jersey person. So yes, go to Stein's Deli. Uh, it's my favorite. I mean, they're, the Rachel is my favorite sandwich there. It's an, I'm a huge fan. Uh, it's Sixer stuff and all and Flyers and Eagles stuff all over the place. It's a cool place and then yeah those are my some of my main food ones because you know i'm getting there's the higher class and the lower class but then drink wise i mean go to frenchman street don't go to bourbon street frenchman street is like the local you know jeff duncan actually said it perfectly in any staples podcast and i completely agree it's, it's like it's the local it's bourbon street's the locals i think that's where you go i think i love mid-city which is some of my places and and also go to the french quarter just don't go to bourbon street you know uh, i mean go to canaan tables one of my favorite cocktail places or go to long way you know molly's is like the newspaper bar which is where you know i'm a former times picayune staffer so when that all happened and that shut down we had a ridiculous end of the times picayune party at that molly's i mean molly we always have like guest newspaper bartenders and whatnot so go to molly's if you're a reporter as well those are some of my recommendations, but uh, if you have any more, feel free to hit me up if you need more. I'm taking notes on all of that, especially the deli. I it, did despite, too. Despite the insult that Brody Levin, that Brody leveled at me, like I, I just—it's not an insult. I just don't. Yes, agree it with is. You. It's, it's no. You're just like insulting my existence. I don't understand though. Like, doesn't every state have a yes, middle? It does. Grace, thank you. Look, I, I guess our impartial viewer weighed in. Boom. I just I just don't get it. I need to Google image the state of New Jersey. This is actually a very divisive thing. You'll probably find like it's like a, it's like the Taylor <laughs> Ham. It's the Taylor Ham versus pork roll all over again. Yes. Do, oh, does Brody speak that language that you sent me on Twitter, yes, Nicole? Yes. Which also referenced the pork pork roll. Wait, wait. What would you Taylor call it pork roll? Pork roll. Yeah. Okay. So you're South Jersey. Cool. 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 No. That no. It's it's it, you can do you can do both both things in Central Jersey. There's wow. No that just made answer. my day. That's a perfect place to end it because that both you just used was the most Jersey Philly accent both I've ever heard. It had an L in so it. So that was. I think we need to end. No, that's not making fun of you. I love it. But that is yes, the perfect. I'm not. That's just that's that's who you are. But that is the perfect place to end it because that was the uh, perfect both both. All right, all right. <laughs> Thank you, Brody. We will see you in New Orleans. Brody, you're invited anytime. I'm really trying to make fun of you. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. All right, we will see you in uh, in uh, like a day in New Orleans. We will be dining, drinking. Can't wait to see you. Thanks so much for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Excited to see you, Brody. Thanks for having me, guys. Can't wait to see you all. Take care. Grace, I can't believe that our conversation devolved to that. Honestly, Brody has a standing invitation anytime he wants to come on to protect the rock. But I had no but, idea New Jersey people had so, so much beef with each other. Okay, first of all, Grace, do you know New Jersey people at all? 
We have beef um, about literally everything about driving. I know like five. Jersey, Wawa, like all of these things. Uh, listen, we will have to record a podcast with Brody in Central Jersey. That will be our off-season goal. I'm into that. I mean, I tend to agree with you. I just don't see how you can have a north and a south of a state and by definition not have a central. Thank you. I'm going to send you a lot of literature about this for you to do instead of the Instead of Feels like you're going to send me a Reader's Digest or something. I mean, New Jersey Monthly. There's there's a lot of outlets that have tackled such an important issue. So I will send them to you so you'll be well-versed by the time we see Brody this weekend. Yeah, Um, there we go. But anyway, back to Clemson football. Um, We are going to wrap up here. We are going to be talking a little bit more Clemson football at our live show in New Orleans. So if you happen to be in New Orleans, please come to the House of Blues with us on Saturday. We'll be there from noon to 3 central. Um, We'll probably give us our game picks there. But otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the game. For Grace Rayner, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we'll talk to you soon.